0: their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Olu Adapatan is a strength and conditioning coach with over 15 years in the industry, whose objective is to offer his clients insight and to advise them on reaching optimum and maximizing fitness levels, both making them achievable and enjoyable for people of all levels, including me which you're about to find out. As a schoolboy, he had the dream of becoming a professional footballer, but it was his love of nature, can't wait to find out about this, that actually led him to becoming a fitness coach. And let me tell you, he is a fitness coach of some esteem. Uh, We'll get round to explaining why. All I can say before I introduce somebody who's become a very important part of my life, because he's been training me every single day for a considerable period of time, is he's an all-round great guy and very, very good at what he does. So it gives me a great deal of pleasure to introduce somebody I think I can refer to as a friend now, uh, Olu Adepatan. Olu, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Hello, Sandro. Man, if I could blush, I'd be blushing now. (laughs) (laughs) So, the the first thing we found out about you is you've got a sense of humour. So, uh, we're going to talk to you about your love of nature. This is great. This is going to go in all sorts of directions. Um, Right, (laughs) let's, let's go back because you know, you are 40 years of age, you look about Mm -hmm. 25. So we'll talk about genetics and all that stuff. uh, And the reasons why I'm jealous when I look at you. So apart from that, let's go back to um, Olu, the the kid. Where where did it all start? How did it all happen?
1: Wow, good question. So yeah, you have to jump back. So um, maybe it'll be good for me to start with my background. So... I'm born and bred in East London, but my heritage, my parents are born in Nigeria. So that's our heritage. Um, I'm one of four kids. I'm the youngest. I've got um, two sisters and one brother. Um, and the eldest, two, my eldest brother and sister were born in Nigeria. And me and my sister, who's 18 months older than me, were, were born in the UK. Um, Parents come to the UK because both my brother and my sister, the eldest siblings, are both got um, disabilities. Uh, my brother is become considerably famous, actually, um, somewhat because of his disability, yes, and his achievements with this disability. Um, so that's one thing. So those of you who don't know, he's Adia Deputan, the Paralympic um, bronze medalist and also TV presenter. Um, so... That was, that's a little bit of insight. So my parents come, we had a pretty good, um, situation, I guess, in Nigeria, but they came over just because they knew there'd be a better life for my elder siblings. And then, um, me and my sister come along. East London, where we grew up, um, you can imagine. So I was born in 1979, but I grew up in the eighties. So you might as well say the eighties when I was a young kid. Um, not many black kids around where we lived. So, um. Could get a bit nasty at times, so um, I had to grow up fast. I had to learn to look after myself. Yeah, it was. Don't get me wrong; it was a great. We had a great time. I mean, I think about my childhood. I made some great friends. Had a great time, but I was just aware right? it was a bit. It can be a bit of a, a tasty area, as some people say. And um, yeah, and that I was grew up in it, and um, I wouldn't change a thing. You know,
0: I um. I- just based on all that you've told us so far, I've got a dozen questions floating around my head. I, I, okay. First of all, I can, I can visualize two aside in the back garden, Nigeria versus England, or whatever Ooh, la, la. used to happen. How, what was it like being the youngest? Because I'm the eldest, so I'm about as disconnected from being the youngest as it's possible to be because I'm one of seven, so you're the youngest of four. For all the youngsters out there, the young members of the family, uh, what's it like being the youngest? Right, I'm going to start off and say it's a myth, because
1: everyone says that the youngest one gets spoiled. It's a myth, yeah? I don't believe that. I think the youngest one, of course, they get spoiled by the parents, but then the older siblings think it's their God-given right to, to beat us up and <laughs> terrorise us. Mm. And I'm sure you probably as the eldest knows that. So, um, no, only joking. Um, growing up as the youngest is fun, because I think... You get to see the mistakes your elder siblings make. Um, Your parents, I would say, get it right by the time it gets to you. Because not that they got it wrong, but I think that they obviously, with the older older siblings, rather, they maybe were a bit too strict, maybe a bit too soft, maybe a bit too whatever. And then when it comes to you, um, you get all the help. Your siblings help you out. Your parents help you out. Your parents are more patient. I I, I think it's it's the best position to be,
0: you know, being the youngest, if I'm going to be honest. So I know, uh, and I hope I'm not embarrassing you when I ask yeah. you but I know that, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, um, didn't really knuckle down, did you, until after secondary school? What, what was that moment in your life where you thought, right, enough messing around, I, ne- I need to, you know, I really need to focus on my future? Was there, a, was, there a, was there a moment, was there an epiphany or did something just happen inside of you where you thought, hang on a minute, I really need to uh, sort myself out? Good question. Yes. I would say messing up my GCSEs
1: and um, seeing how disappointed my folks were um, and my brother, who I really looked up to. He never... When it comes to things like school and stuff like that, he never really had a go at me. But he was... I could see he was annoyed with me. So it was a a disappointment. But if we've run back... For for those who know me, I'm, I'm fiercely dyslexic, if you can say fiercely dyslexic, but I'm dyslexic. So school for me... Was hardcore. It wasn't. It was. It was great socially. It was great for the sports, but um, academically, it was hell, and didn't help out. My sister, who's directly older than me, and my brother were actually very intelligent and very good at school, and um, I wasn't. So, I think messing about was a defense me- mechanism. Now, when I think about it, because you, you sit down and you wonder why, because a lot of the times I don't know why I did. But I think it was a defence mechanism because. I don't mind now. I can say I was. I struggled at school. It was hard. The teachers didn't get it because they obviously we all went to the same school. So they said your siblings are doing well. English is your first language. You come from a good background. They knew my parents, so they just they just couldn't they just couldn't understand why. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't a naughty kid. It wasn't like I was a terrible kid. It, it was just. Um, just got myself into mischief. It was always, if there was any mischief to be done, I was somewhere around, if that makes sense.
0: It's interesting. You talk about dyslexia, and, and, you know, I wonder how many people use, whether it's a physical disability or a learning disability, Uh, or or just the fact that in your case, you kind of get words or numbers mixed up. How many people use that as an excuse to underperform? Because I mean, you've turned everything around, you're doing super well, and we'll talk about your business in a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I wonder around the, and then you talk about schooling and teachers, assuming that you're going to be like your siblings astonishing to me that there's that degree of ignorance even amongst school teachers but then you mentioned earlier on racism in uh, in your Absolutely. early years again that's something that comes from ignorance as we know to what extent you know would you what words of advice would you give to a child who is maybe at the moment Olu kind of facing the same difficulties and challenges you had whether it's dyslexia or just because they're struggling at school or racism, or any other kind of social pressure, what what advice would you give to people that find themselves in that position at the moment? Cool. I'll try and answer all of those. I'll first start off with the advice, because I think that'll be
1: the, the the best one. I think you got to... What I did is I found a defence mechanism, and it was... And I think... So what I'm getting at is that don't use that. So what I use my defence mechanism, when I was younger, I used my physicality, I used... Um, I was funny. I used being a clown to cover up what the real problem was, and the real problem was I couldn't understand it, and I didn't pick things up as quick as as my good friends. And um, I think what you got to do is you got to say just talk to. I have a quiet word with a teacher. Have a quiet word with someone you trust, even if you need it to be your parents to articulate it to the teacher or whatever. Just just try and um, just try and be open about that. Is that is is probably the advice. Don't be scared. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be. I think I was very embarrassed. I think I didn't even admit because I found out I was dyslexic when I was 18, funny enough, and I don't think I really admitted it to people until I was in my mid-20s because I was still a bit embarrassed about it because of the stigma. But now I think in life you met people, oh, I'm dyslexic, and then I realised, like, he's dyslexic, oh, she's dyslexic. They're, they're quite bright, they're intelligent,
0: they're this, that, and the other. And then I realised it wasn't a big deal. Well, yeah, it's very common. And and as we probably know, there are a lot of very, very well-known people who do extraordinary things who are dyslexic. So, um, you know, I think that your message there has come come across loud and clear that you shouldn't let things like that be a barrier, which you didn't. So – there you were. You know, you go through school, you struggle a bit, and all those other things you've been kind enough to to openly share with us. But then you kind of find your way. You know, wanted to be a professional footballer, so that dream gets abandoned. Tell us about your tell us about your love of nature. i love of nature. All kinds of images floating through my mind at the moment. Right, <laughs> not naturism,
1: nature. So <laughs> yes, it's a fact. Um, my friends taken a Mick out of me and and call me the black David Attenborough. Because, I don't know, I just, I I, I actually love nature. I mean, anyone who knows me, like, if you could go into my study, I'll show you my book collection. We had a dog as a child, so I think that was probably one of the other changing points, uh, which made me get responsible in terms of, not because I was the youngest, I was messy, I didn't. Do anything. So the dog was in the house. So it was like, "Right, that's your responsibility." So you got to walk in. Blah blah blah. So I think that was one of the things that touched my heart. Why I loved animals, and
0: I just do. Uh, you 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 name saying. I bet you I know something about it. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to tackle you on that next time we have a gym session. So um, yeah. tell me about then how the whole personal training thing. And I, you know, I, the one thing I want to do is I want to frame this a little bit for for people because when we first met, we were were, were introduced by a a mutual friend and uh, it would be fair to say that when I pitched up for this personal training session with this bloke I didn't know, uh, the next hour was absolute murder. Um, But the thing that I'm going to let everyone know about Olu, and and I I, I don't want to embarrass you at all with this, uh, and I know you'll be modest enough to be really embarrassed, but you are (laughs) one person, probably the only person, who i've ever worked with who really really a knows their stuff but b makes it really really enjoyable um and i want to talk to you a little bit about motivation because it's a very important part of what you do so how first of all how did the whole personal training career take off cool good question so yeah as you
1: know um, I wasn't inspired by my science teacher in school at all for whatever reason but I wasn't so um, I messed up my GCSEs as I was told but um, I got enough to get into college I got enough GCSEs to get into college but in relation to what my siblings got it was awful but um, the point I'm getting is that so I got into uni, um, college rather, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And my sister said, listen, nature comes under science. Because me and my sister are very tight. So if you, if you knew me, you know, you'll know my sister. So she's really tight. And she was like, nature is a science. So she said, why don't you study science? And then from there, you'll find your way. Which was absolutely right. So um, I, it did. But what I did, again, it goes down to I'll be open. At, originally, I was going to be a vet. So I thought, cool, science, you need science to be a vet. Then when I realized that, I thought, whoa, to be a vet, this is, this is really hard, like the, the, what you had to do. I didn't have confidence in myself I could have achieved it. Probably now the, the older Olu now would have told the younger Olu, go for it, give it a go. But I'm happy where I am now. Um, but it was just so happened that the reason why is I was scared to do that then. But um, putting back to where you said, so then um, it was a biology lesson and um, they were obviously talking about nutrition and how eating food can make an athlete it can it can fuel an athlete for to make them be run not necessarily have the energy to run a marathon to to complete a football match if they eat the right foods they can build muscle and at that age I was all about um being physical that was all everything physical I was about so this was me do you know I mean I was like oh my god this is me. So um, I wanted originally I was going to do sports science, and then I remember my dad. And if anyone who knows my dad, it was like that's not a real subject, yeah. It was that kind of guy, which is cool, but it was just he's he's that man of that generation. That's not a real um, a real um, topic to study. So then um, nutrition was, was the other thing there, and it was just as good. So um, hence, I after finishing my um, my time at college, I went over to university
0: and studied nutrition. Uh, first of all, as you were talking then I, I was smiling to myself, this you know this physically superb specimen of a man is sitting in a meadow picking flowers. each of the two things just don't just don't compute in my mind, but anyway, that's, it that, happens. <laughs> that's what happens um so you know motivation and discipline let's talk about those two things for a moment because obviously, um there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, and I fall into the category at least in the past, where I kind of know that I should be eating better. I kind of know that I should sign up for a gym membership. And then what happens inevitably is, along with pretty much everyone else, by the end of January, I've given up my membership and I don't go back again because I can't find the motivation. And so what I do is I go through these cycles where I I discipline myself for a short period of time. That enthusiasm wanes a bit. And then I look back with a degree of regret the things I haven't achieved and and I might pick it up and I might do it again but that cycle repeats itself. So what are, the, what are the, the things that you could do to help people understand, you know, why working with someone like you is really important? Because from my perspective, for example, that accountability to another human being is a very important discipline for me. Uh, disciplining myself is much harder, of course. Um, but just let's have a quick conversation around motivation and discipline and why those are very important component parts of what you do. Firstly,
1: I'll start with the discipline, I think what I always speak to my clients when I need when they need to is I need to um, I, I ask them why are you doing this is the question you gotta you gotta ask them why are they doing it and um, it doesn't matter if they say I just want to look good on a beach that's a good enough reason absolutely good enough reason but then I just need to know why they're doing it then another question you need to ask them is how bad do they want it because some people want a six pack but they're not willing to 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 go to because you know to get a six pack isn't easy you got to work for it and as we get older it gets even harder Mm. so um I ask those questions and then from there I can gauge from their reply I can kind of gauge how hard this person wants to work and then you find out a little bit about have they tried this before and then from there you can really gauge where you need to take them and then I try so that's me finding out about them and then with myself I need to I need to I need to, they need to not be inspired, but they need to understand that I live what I am preaching. And yes, that's what I'm looking at. I live what I preach. So I train. I'm not saying I am, I, I got an Adonis physique, but I, um, I'm good enough shape that they'll say, oh, well, this guy's living what he says he is. So then I give, I'm living proof of what I am. And then secondly, not too much, because not everyone needs that. You like to know the science. You like to know what's going on. But I need to let them know that I am educated enough to take them on that journey, whether that is me telling them what I'm about or talking about what I've done in the past. Not in a bragging way, just in a way to show them that it is achievable. Mm. Um,
0: I think that answers your question. It does. It does perfectly. So let me give you another scenario. Um, We've got people listening and going, yeah, but that's great. I'd love to get really fit. And I, yeah, I do. I'm really serious, Olu. I'd I'd love to do something. But, you know, my, uh, my partner, they always keep biscuits and chocolate in the cupboard and i and i can't resist it and uh, i can't i can't imagine just giving all of that up and i i haven't got a gym at home so how on earth can i possibly find the time to train or even if i wanted to work with you let's say virtually like you and i do i've mm-hmm. got any weights at home so i can't possibly make progress so it's all a bit of a waste of time um, that that's the element of discipline that i'm that i'm talking about so question number 1 or, or part a would be is it a question of living like a monk, you know, having to only eat, you know, X number of grams of protein if we even knew what that looked like, carbohydrates, fat, whatever. And um, can you still put on a good shape? Can you create um, good outcomes for yourself without having a gym at home, Without, with only having a small amount of time during the day, for example? Because people use being busy as an excuse, right, most of the time. Yeah. To, to those groups of people who go... I don't want to give it all up. So, Olu, what could I do to keep satisfied but make progress? And then the second group of people who are like, well, I don't think I've got quite enough. I haven't got an hour to spare every day. So what what advice would you give to that group of people?
1: I'll answer now as, as where I am in my career now. Now... <laughs> Sometimes you just have to let people go. It's not like, not in a bad way, but it's just like if they're not rich, because I can lie to you and I can take your money and I can say, Right, I'm going to get you there and we can trade for six months, keep taking your money, and then you don't get there because you're not working as hard. You're not eating. When I sit down, because with all my clients, so I'm going, firstly, I need to give them a program that they can adhere to, a program that they can do that is of their ability and what is going to get them when they need to go. And then also, if they need some nutritional help, I'll give them nutritional help. And um, also, if we talk about a spouse who is um, a saboteur, someone who sabotages them, I always the move I try and do with people like that to try and say, "Well, get your partner in." Why don't I train your partner? Why don't um, I take them through their paces and try, I try and use that as an opportunity. I'm trying to maybe minus, try and get out all the barriers that are giving them problems. So that's what, so I'll try and do that, but that doesn't always work, but sometimes that works. So then firstly, I give them that to manage it, to, to manage, and then I, uh, to just get them on a straight and narrow. Then I, um, I let them know how hard they're going to work. I will say, right, well, I'm going to show you how hard you need to work. So I'll put them for a session and when they're training, when it gets hard, I'll say, well, if you want this goal, this is the level you've got to work at. And if they say this is too much, then we can bring it down. And I can say, All right, you won't get a six pack, or you won't get you won't get your body fat down to under 10%, but we can get you down to sixteen percent or something like that. I'm just pulling numbers out. And I can say someone who's sixteen percent looks like this can either be a visual something visually for them and then explain to them and then say, right, when we get you to there. So I'll give them smaller goals. So i say, when I've got you to there, then we may be able to get you to that 8% because now you'll be, when we get you to 16%, you'll be fitter, you'll be stronger. You'll actually have, with your time with me, with your the knowledge I'll give you on how to eat and how to live your life, it would actually need less of a chore to take that next step it's probably a smaller leap than it was at the beginning when you were probably 30% body fat. So it's kind of tactics like that, but everyone's different. I mean, the way, I, the way I'd work with yourself or the way I'd work with someone else is different. It, it's, I, try, I try and find out what their exercise history is. I try and find out what type of personality they are. For example, someone like you, if I say, oh, you ain't going to be able to do two more, I know, you, you'll give me two more. Uh, but, and I know that wouldn't work with some people. That would absolutely not work. I say you're absolutely right. I won't. Yeah. So then I have to find a different type of skill to to um to get them. And I think that comes down to also just me in my life, li- living in different places, like growing up, going to uni, working, mixing with different types of people that I grew up with. I kind of gauge what people's personalities are like and what, how to read. How to push someone, if that makes sense. And yeah. I think adaptability, I'm adaptable because I've been in so many different places. I've learned to adapt mm. and I've learned to adapt my skill to the individual in front of me, mm.
0: which is, you can't, you can only learn that with, with time. There's a, there's a lot of talk, as we know, especially in, in recent years, of um, uh, mental illness. And to what extent do you think physical fitness leads to mental fitness, Olu? Yeah.
1: So it's a lot. So, um, firstly, particularly with cardio, um, when you've had a hard car- exercise, a hard workout that, um, that's cardiovascular, you release a hormone called endorphins. Yeah. And um, we've all heard of that. So that's one way of, um, just releasing that in your body, you'll get, you'll, you'll feel happy after workout. So that will mentally, even if for that, even if that lasts an hour, you will look forward to doing that workout. So looking forward to doing that work. It's like looking forward to a holiday or looking forward to something you like. All of a sudden, if you are living in a negative state, because you're looking to something, if, even if it is that workout tomorrow or whatever it is, that will help you feel better. That help you feel positive. And then after the workout, you'll feel positive. So for those couple of hours a day, it will help you feel better is one way of looking at it. Also, where it'll help is because... If you train and you are doing everything else right, you will look better. If you look better, again, that will help you with your self-esteem. Sometimes people, if you've got a circle around you where people say you're looking better, again, that will give you self-esteem. Maybe you don't need to be a junkie of people commenting and saying that you feel good, and that's the only way you feel good, but it will help you feel good within yourself. And I think in the long run, that can only be good for your mental health. Mm. So, um, And then meeting people in gyms, meeting people who are similar in the way you think. There's so many um, positive things you can get mentally from training, which can help you with your mental health.
0: Now, in the in the time I've known you, Olu, uh, you don't strike me as the kind of person, you've mentioned the words taking money off people, you run a business, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, you don't strike me as the kind of person who is really motivated by money. And I say that with great respect. I've. It's always struck me that you are genuinely very interested in achieving the best possible outcomes, managing those expectations that you mentioned before, but helping people to achieve their goals. What is it you find most rewarding about what you do? Firstly, um, I
1: can only do, if anyone knows me, I can only do what I like. It's impossible to get me to do something I don't like. My girlfriend will tell you, my parents will tell you, anyone, you know. I, so I like, I love training people, I love it. So hence, it's, it comes naturally to me and it comes easy to me. So the money is a bonus, it helps, but it's all about, it's all about that. It's all about because I enjoy it. And secondly, I get off on people achieving their goals. Like if someone says to me, oh, I want to... And this, is, this comes back to what I was talking about when I was in college where I learned that by eating a certain way, you can achieve something. And then when I realized that combining eating... And training a certain way can help you achieve something. It's almost like a scientist. It's almost like I've put that all together. Use these people as um, an experiment. They've achieved it. Obviously, not as crude as I'm saying, but is but they've achieved it.
0: And I feel really happy. that makes me feel great. They feel great. And I mean, it's an all-round good time. So, how then? We'll talk about that lovely t shirt. Your t shirt you're wearing in a minute. Uh, <laughs> how do you? How do you make? banging out 30 kilo dumbbells, doing, you know, 100 sit-ups, running on the treadmill for an hour, which, frankly, you don't get up in the morning and desire to do. How do you make the whole process as enjoyable as you do? I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of putting words into your mouth a little bit. Uh, I know the answer because it's very enjoyable for me. But how do you generally make, it, make something that is so tough, at least mentally tough, um, so enjoyable for people? Three things.
1: Firstly, everything I give out to people, I do myself or can do myself. So I've been in that journey. Yeah. So um, I've run that. I've done that type of training. So I know. I know. How you, I can relate. I can see when that person feels when they when they've done a, done some squats. Then they've done to do some press ups. Then got on the rower. I've done that. So I know how they're feeling. So it's. I don't know if empathy is the right word. It's just knowing where they at is one one way. Secondly, I think. I think you're born with this. And when I say you're born with this is I like having fun. And because um, I like having fun, I like making having, having jokes, messing about. I think I try and portray that in my personality with the session. So that's the other. That's, the, that's definitely the second one. And um, I think lastly, because I've, I've, I don't put you in a trap. You know what you're about to do. It's never like all of a sudden i spring something on you. I've mentally prepared you for what you're about to do. I always tell people you're at this stage of your program or we're going to do this today. So you kind of know. So I've given you some warnings. You've mentally prepared yourself so you're not going into an unknown zone. For the first time when someone goes into the red zone, for like how we trained a couple of weeks ago where I made you do the squats, the press-ups and the row I I talked about the red zone. I talked about how you're going to feel in that zone. Even though if if some people have never been there, they don't know, but they kind of expect that. I'm going to be in a bad way, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to be cool
0: because I trust this guy and we'll get through this. Yeah, good answer. Good answer. That's, that's good answer. And, and definitely, my, definitely my experience today. Um, so obviously in recent times, you know, the coronavirus and, and all that's happened has had a, you know, a massive impact on gyms in particular. And, and I think it probably will continue to have an impact on gyms for, you know, a period of time. So my earlier question, because there will be a lot of people listening to this podcast, Oli, who are going to say, do you know what? I've got some time on my hands. I'd love to start personal training. I really want to, you know, get physically fit, mentally fit. I haven't got a gym at home. I haven't got a lot of time. Obviously, you're doing a lot of virtual coaching. All of our stuff that we've been doing has has been on Zoom or or FaceTime, for example. Um, What do you say to those people who, um, you know, they say, well, I've got no weights. So... I can't possibly train. If I haven't got any weights, how how do you train me? What what would be the answer to that one? Um, It goes back to being
1: adaptable. So answering your question, I'm going to tell you about a scenario, for example. So on my typical day as a coach and every day before the coronavirus, um, I could be training a female professional boxer um, doing some S&C. Straight after an hour training her, I could move on to training a lady who just wants to get fit for her wedding, not just, but who wants to get fit for a wedding in three months' time. And then from there, I could head off to someone's house who's got a nice gym, and they want to get bigger for their, for their holiday. Or then I could go and train someone out in the park with no equipment. So it's adaptability is what I'm trying to get at. It's being adaptable. It's um, seeing what's in front of me and, and being adaptable. I, if they have no equipment... I could recommend equipment for them, or I will bring equipment with me, or we will start breaking down the foundation. And then as we get better, it'll be in, I'll be like, right, well, we're going to start off doing some movements. And then in six weeks' time, we will need to put some resistance on that. So then, whether they need to save for it, or if I need to buy the equipment, or if I need to find a, a location where we do have the equipment, we will find it. But the point I'm getting at is adaptability. You just have to. Adapt it. You can adapt it. Of course, if someone wants to if someone wants to build muscle and we've got no equipment, then I'll have to manage expectations and say there's only a limited amount of time we can get before you will be able, before we will have to use resistance equipment. But this is where we are.
0: I was going um, yeah. to say, I challenge anyone to do three sets of 20, even own bodyweight squats, followed by three sets of 20 press-ups or whatever. So you, there's a lot you can do without weights, is what that we're is. saying. Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you think that your industry, your profession will move more towards virtual training or do you just think this is a short term blip, you know, cause I know you are, you're committed to carrying on working virtually cause you do have a lot of clients who want mm-hmm. to train that way cause it just makes their life a little bit easier. Do you see that as being the future or do you think things will kind of maintain, will balance out over time?
1: Um, Right, so at the beginning of this whole pandemic, um, well, I've actually from this whole pandemic, I've learned something and I've learned that it could potentially be a win for people like myself, for coaches who are trying to create a brand. Yeah, it could be potentially a win. And it might in the short run um, be a loss for gyms, but I think they will, they will, they will, they will recoup when a vaccine's found. And people, or when, in times to come, when people feel a little bit more safe about going into gyms, they will. And they will make themselves up. Mm. But I think for people like myself who are a brand, I think it will teach, it made me, have to sell myself. It made me have to, to go virtual. I'd never before you had virtual train people, not on a regular basis. It may be once a month, just showing them a program saying, right, this is your program. I'm going to show you how to do it. See you later. But it was never a regular thing. But I had to, again, adapt to using that word again, where we couldn't go into gyms, but people still wanted to train and, um, I still needed to, to, to earn. So hence I got, into, I, I got into virtual training. So um, I think we will take a bit of the market for us coaches who are creating a brand and, and getting, getting known amongst the public. But, um, and it, it will force us that if another situation, if there was another pandemic to happen again, or this was the, corona was to attack us again in 2021, we've learned to adapt. We've got, our core market and gyms will learn as well. And gyms will learn to call upon people like myself who who are building a brand who are a brand to service their clients, so to speak. So their clients stay active, their clients are still affiliated with the gym that they're working at. If if I'm making sense. So I
0: think it's um yeah. So let's talk about that brand because you've got that lovely t-shirt on that I mentioned before. Tell me tell Ooh. me about, there it is. Tell me about uh... Tell me about that brand of yours, then. Tell me about that brand. So, um, Champion Health and Fitness is the main
1: brand. There's also I've also got another one called Masters Health and Wellbeing, but we start Champion Health and Fitness is the main one. So, um, I think when you've been working for 15 years in an industry, you you start to develop a philosophy kind, so to speak, a philosophy on how you train people and your belief system. Of course, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So if you had someone in front to someone who's identical to another person and they wanted to train, you could, I could train them one way and another person could train them another way, a separate way. And they could both get the same results. But I, I've tried and tested over the time I've been training a way, a certain way, a certain philosophy. And I know it works so that's the way I followed. So I knew I needed to create a brand so I could sell that. I could I don't want to take over the world, of course. It's not it's not my motivation, but where I could just release what I do, do what I do with people, with the public. And um and and that's it simply. So I decided to create a brand and I watched Again, sorry to cut you, um, a, a guy who, who's a few years older than me, who I grew up with, was a personal trainer. And um, I saw it, he was creating a brand. I saw it, the way he was training people. He never, till today, he can tell you that he's, um, he's never worked for a fitness first chain or a virgin. He's always worked out of studios from start to finish and survived. And that he went that way. He did. He passed his qualifications and went straight that way. And most people, like myself, will go the virgin fitness first way to learn, make your mistakes, learn, learn your trade, but he did it the other way, and it was, I find it very inspirational, mm-hmm. and every time I used to see him, um, out and about, he'd be wearing, he'd be wearing his t-shirt, like a uniform, almost like a school uniform, so I've actually, I'm an imposter, I've actually stole that, but I get it, because he is it, so when I see him, I, I still follow him on Instagram, he's that, and, um, I've just mimicked it to an extent. I, I always take things of from, from people or businesses that inspire me or what I like, and I bring it into my brand. And, and that's hence why i got these T-shirts
0: and... Um, where it will come about nothing nothing wrong with uh, mimicking other successful people i mean that's what makes lots and lots of people successful so exactly. apart from goofing around with your brother on instagram and having these virtual mm-hmm. training sessions together which you'll you know happen to, uh, please feel free to mention how how then do we find out about you how, if people want to check you out and connect mm-hmm. you or ask you to train them how do they find Olu on, cool. online
1: on Instagram, it's OluCHF, rather. So that's my Instagram handle. So that's one way to get hold of me. Um, currently, I'm working out of. Oh I, my, my my main job is working um, with a club called BXR, which is in Marylebone. Um, for those who don't know, Anthony Joshua, heavyweight champion of the world, is one of our um. He's one of our partners in the gym. So it's a it's a luxurious gym in the heart of London, but it does, it is a boxing gym as well. So you have thousands of pounds of really expensive state-of-the-art um, equipment, but then you also have a boxing ring, which is trying to bring in that spit and sawdust kind of atmosphere. So that's where I'm um, fitness manager there. So that's where you'd find me um, training people as well. But then again, again I, I can work out studios. I work in if people got gyms I can go to their gyms or in the park or wherever. I'm all over. But the main way to get me could be from Instagram.
0: Okay, cool. Final question then, Olu. And thank you for joining us today. It's been fantastic talking to you and hopefully not as painful for you today as it is for me when I'm working out with you. Um, Last question, which we ask all our guests, which is um, based on all of your experience, 15 years now, but also the experiences as a kid with all the challenges you faced growing up that you mentioned before, What's the one single bit of advice? If somebody came to you and said, young, maybe a younger version of you, and said, right, if you could just drill everything down and it was just one thing, like your favorite song from the 80s, what would that one single piece of advice be if it could only be one? Always do something. You can't go wrong with
1: 80%. If you put that into your training, if you work 80% in the long run, so if you had 100 days, and out of the 100 days, 80 80 of those days you worked hard you would achieve your goal if you eat for 100 days uh, for 100 days if you put 100 days in front of you and you ate well for 80 days you will definitely achieve it so it's 80%. So if you if your minimum is 80% you will achieve something. Even when I train people and I say out of 10 how is that eight out of 10 now that's the 80%. So I stick to that. So as long I would say to the younger me as long as you give a minimum, obviously you aim for 100%, but if you have a minimum of 80%, nine times out of 10 or eight times out of 10, you will get what you want.
0: And that's a that's a, that's a good um, percentage to mess around with, 80%. That is a, that is a really good answer, uh, a unique answer to the Sandro Forte podcast. Never heard anyone. I talk a lot about being the best you can be, not trying to be the best because that does set the bar sometimes too high for people and you don't manage right. expectations. That's a, that's a brilliant way to finish this podcast. Um, all I can say is, I, I knew you'd be great. Um, when when we've been chatting during our sessions uh, between me dying for uh, gasping for breath, um, it, it's been brilliant having you on uh, on the Sandro Forty podcast, Olu. Uh, thank you for being so inspiring um, and sharing so many amazing uh, insights into the way that people can... Uh, remain physically and mentally fit but also start to achieve some of the goals that really they've got the time on their hands to really start thinking about now and hopefully lots of people will start connecting with you because as I said at the top of the show you know you really are great at what you do and I want to use this opportunity to thank you very much for for all the fun we're having and uh, and and the progress we're making as well so um, thank you for joining us today appreciate giving up your time and uh, long may you continue to do what you're doing. Thank you very much. And long may we continue doing what we're doing. Thank you so much. Amen.
1: It was my pleasure. I
0: enjoyed it. for that one. So thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Wasn't Olu absolutely terrific? I love that guy. Uh, each week we have a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. Please make sure you subscribe, follow us on social media. And I know this is all boring because I repeat it every single week. But it's Sandro's podcast with an S in the middle. And if you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandro'spodcast.com. We've had lots recently, so keep those coming. And remember to connect with me, Sandro Forte, the real Sandro Forte, on Instagram. And please remember to leave those iTunes reviews because then we know what kind of guests you'd like in the future. And don't forget, if you like, forward, post, and all the other things that you do, you will get the chance to win one of the prizes donated by one of the guests of the Sandro Forte podcast. Until our next guest just about this time next week. Goodbye for now.